0: Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. I'm Hannah Leiter, your host. We have a really interesting episode today and one about one of the biggest buzzwords, at least in marketing, in the last year. That is third-party cookies. And one of my favorite ways to oppose it is the event of the death of the cookies, Now, in January 2020, Google made the big announcement that they were going to phase out third-party cookies by the year 2022. This is a huge shift for brands using digital marketing, which is essentially every brand at this point, especially since Google Chrome makes up 66% of the browser market. Now, one year into the transition and one year away from the official death to the cookie, some digital marketers are looking at the positives of eliminating them. Many others are looking to see what will replace them. Whether you're a marketer or not, I am sure that you have heard of the death of the cookies. But there is a lot of information out there, and the reality is not everyone understands what it means. And that is what we're here to discuss today. Joining me as a subject matter expert is Rolf Switten. He is the Director of Data Assets at GFK North America. Welcome, Rolf.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me, Hannah.
0: Yeah, of course. So you actually have... Uh, what I think is a pretty cool job. Can you just give everyone a quick description of what exactly you do as the data assets director?
1: Sure. Um, this is a new position that was created a couple of years ago when I joined GFK. And essentially, uh, GFK has been embracing the shift and need for ever more behavioral data and thinking, how do you be more um, innovative in integrating different kinds of data? In in our business, in the world of insights, and to help power businesses, and so my job is really about helping GFK uh, extract the most value and find new ways to put together its data in, in in valuable ways, and to find new data partners and to structure those partnerships so that we can collaborate to help our clients uh, f- solve the problems they need with um, with new kinds of uh, new kinds of information and insights.
0: Well, let's get in to the subject, which is. Third-party cookies. So I'm starting off with a nice softball question for you. What is it when I say the death of the cookies? Now that I've said it about five times in the inter- introduction,
1: right? Yeah, it's, it's um, the 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 cookie has really been a, a really a critical part of of the digital infrastructure, right? If we think about how things evolved, we go back to early days of the internet. We had very straightforward advertising where. Um, the ads placed on a website were just the ads that made sense because if you're reading an article about travel in the New York Times, there was a travel ad because the New York Times had just sold that space to it. Well, the invention of cookies, um, particularly third-party cookies, meant that um, instead of uh, figuring out a relevant ad just for that and selling it locally, the New York Times could plug in somebody else's ad servers and they could use... A cookie which is basically a way for a platform like Google to be able to track you across platforms and know who you are so therefore they would be able to deliver a more relevant ad in that context to you. So an idea of a cookie is really about a little store of information. There are two kinds of cookies, um, first-party cookies and third-party cookies. I talked about third-party cookies there briefly. A first-party first party cookie is the kind of information when we go on a website and it says do you want to save your login and password or information for future visits that's a first party cookie that website and yourselves are are agreeing to that you're going to exchange and save data there a third party cookie is like what i mentioned where google will hold information about you and be able to deliver that to multiple different websites so when we think about about the death of the cookie it's in fact really about the death of, of, of that of people being able to hold that information, especially the third party cookies f- of you across different sites.
0: Right. And it is specifically or mostly third party cookies. There are still first party cookies even after Google phases everything out. Is that correct?
1: Correct. So as we already see now, most times you go to a website You are being asked to go through a very complicated multiple choice process of what cookies are you going to let that website um, uh, capture about you and how could they use that information. And this is really the start of that process. And so already most every website is taking an an aggressive stance to be in a position as these changes start to take hold. And we're seeing that. Um, But those first party cookies are going to still be there for the foreseeable future.
0: What is the main reason that Google has decided to make such a big
1: move? Well, um, what's the problem with cookies? On one hand, I think there's a there's been growing consumer backlash, right? People have been feeling ways creeped out. I think as part of it. If you look at um, the there was a, the big fad of ads following you around. You still see it now, um, slightly to a slightly lesser degree. But if you'd gone shopping and you'd found that really weird carpet that you thought maybe would be right, but you decided not to buy, but you'd find someone marketing it to you across websites relentlessly. That kind of um, retargeting advertising was real powerhouse, but it also started to show to people how much you were being tracked across domains. And with that, people started to take a closer look at privacy and how your privacy is being controlled on the internet. there's a really important um, shift in perceptions or in attitudes, um, starting, I think, really with Europe. Europe um, passed GDPR, which is a an important consumer privacy law, and that really started to drive a shift in expectations, um, followed more recently by CCPA. And these laws, so GDPR, Europe, CCPA, the California Consumer um, uh, Data Protection Act, are really um, changing the expectations of what is acceptable for companies to do in terms of taking and using your data, and it's the impact of those laws that are really driving this change in what is permissible through, through third-party cookies. And that's why we've seen Google take action. It's um, it is really in direct response to those laws and to the changing perception of the consumers about um, about their privacy and how it should be handled. Mm-hmm. You
0: already mentioned quite a bit there about. Data privacy, which is, of course, another really big topic that we could probably do an entire other episode on. But overall, how important is the sense of anonymity to consumers?
1: This is a so I went back to go look at what consumers think. Um, I might personally, I've been a big proponent of privacy. Um, it disturbs me to know how much information is captured about us and is available. What astonishes me is that when you look at surveys around consumer attitudes towards data privacy is how generally people really aren't that concerned, but there is a growing concern. So the places where you see typically the greatest concern are places where people are, their financial and health data are at risk, and that's when people pay great attention to it. But I'm not sure generally really how concerned people are more widely. Um, As you may have heard in this past week, there was news about Facebook having had a hack of a half a billion social uh, data records, people's phone numbers, email addresses, other key information leaked, a half a billion records available for free in the dark web. What big news, what consumer uproars have been? I've not heard much, right? So I think that points to sort of a, there's a, I think a, a challenging uh, issue for people. Like, should they really be worried about this? Is this really a problem for them? And I think most people are ambivalent about that. Again, unless it's like financial. If I, I, I'm worried about my bank accounts being hacked, I'm worried about my health data getting out there, but otherwise, eh, does it really bother me? Now, one last thing to that point. I do think there's one other indicator which does show people care. You are seeing people increasingly adopt tools like ad blockers and that, and using browsers which prevent people being tracked. And while it's not the majority of people, the adoption of those tools, I do think highlight people are getting more annoyed about feeling like they're being tracked and want to take steps to uh, resist that.
0: Do you think, for example, that big data hack, which of course we've heard of that, sometimes worse, I remember there was a big one a couple of years ago where Target was hacked and, you know, people's credit card information was available. But overall is the fact that consumers don't have an uproar, is it because it's not necessarily their priority or is it because they don't have a full, that full understanding of how much information really is out there about them?
1: I think most people have no idea about the scale of hacking the scale of data available and the and the risks associated with it. Again, I, I was looking just recently at the number of data breaches in the U.S. alone. Um, last year, there were over one thousand data breaches, and um, with over one hundred and fifty five million data records being lost. And this is you know, just one source. I you know, whether or not you know, I suspect the numbers should probably be greater than that. Um, Twenty nineteen. One thousand four hundred and seventy-three data breaches, um, uh, and on we go. There's thousands and thousands of breaches. There are billions of data records that have been leaked. Um, this is a massive problem, and I think most people don't have any sense of the scale or the impact. Um, and but I think people are becoming more aware. And I think as these things have more acute impacts to people, from identity theft and the like. Uh, people should start to be more and motivated to take action. And that is part of the reason why um, folks in the EU and California and elsewhere are starting to take action, because there is a cost.
0: side, the whole reason that third-party cookies really started, well, besides a business model, of course, is that it gives brands an ability to target very specifically people who are interested or would be interested in their product and vice versa. Consumers can get ads that truly are things that they care about. I have a couple of data points here. 31% of consumers Currently in their shopping experience, they would like more personalized uh, experiences um, and 22% are um, only 22% are satisfied with the level of personalization. So seeing that third-party cookies was one of the tactics to personalize, what are some of the ways that brands can have this privacy-centric solution so that data breaches don't happen as much, but they're still able to target consumers effectively the way that they would
1: like. Yeah, this is clearly, you know, this is the beauty of the internet and our digital world, right? The more that we can have a personalized experience, that much the better. Um, certainly I enjoy my newsfeed that gets tailored to me and my newsfeed and my wife's newsfeed are radically different looking things so based on our preferences. And I think that kind of, that that tailored experience is something that we all enjoy. So how do you get to that? Well, this is really the this really is the the future of of the digital ecosystem, right? How do businesses evolve to change? And this requires um, a more thoughtful approach. How do you start to anonymize data and make useful insights that don't require you to hold all that very personal information in ways that can be breached? And um, what's exciting is that there's a lot of innovation happening Mm -hmm. in this space. Lots of folks have realized that third party cookies will die, that their necessity to hold that kind of specific individual personal information is also dangerous. And so, how can they go about finding more powerful ways to go and help de- describe people's behaviors, attitudes, interests, in ways which can be both very personal but also make sure it is de identified? And so there's some really fundamental ways that people are going about this. So for example, now you may have seen um, Apple now, as you go through and register for service, will allow you to register with an Apple email address. And also that will also create a hashed address that they don't reveal to the actual the platform you're signing up for. This idea of a hashed email and sort of being a blind email is one of the important steps around how can you start to register for things in a secure and private way that doesn't pass along your information. Now. That creates a, some protection for you, but how do the sites then start to still think about how to build up a profile to create a more personalized experience? Well, this is where the um, there's a lot of work that being done now to say, all right, let's take signals and understand what kind of person you are likely to be, what kind of behaviors are you likely to be. And it starts to it requires the companies to take a different approach on Connecting and integrating different kinds of data to come up with probabilistic understandings of your interests or your likely interests and people like you, what your likely preferences would be one thing to the next. And this is where AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning tools are becoming in, in, incredibly important to to help uh, make this possible.
0: Would you say that AI is potentially just one of those solutions to replace third-party cookies?
1: AI in itself is not the solution. It is part of the solution. Um, because I think and you think about um, it, AI at this point in time is, is a component. It's an analytical tool. What you're seeing are thinking about how do you start to put together different pieces? How can I go and assemble relevant data from different places? How do I understand... How those things can be connected to not to identify an individual, a very specific person, but understand what a person is like, their behavioral profile, their attitudinal profiles. Um, The power of AI is to help see patterns across things and be able to connect things in in unexpected ways. And that's the power of where AI fits into this. So it is a, a piece of the puzzle, but definitely not the total result.
0: Moving back to that shopping experience, which experience with a brand is a very you know high measuring tool with consumers. As you mentioned, I think in the beginning of the discussion about um, authentication requests, uh, accepting cookies, all of that stuff, that isn't necessarily a great user experience to have to be doing that. Uh, are there are there ways that companies can make the experience better?
1: Yeah, this is. This is a really important area of experimentation right now. Um, it's interesting because I think if you look for for one example, which is is definitely still not mainstream, but there's some very inter- interesting innovation going on in the browser space. Um, for example, um, there's a a business which is doing very well called Brave Browser, and that's a blockchain based. Um, Browser approach, which allows people to take better control of their data and choose what they do want to share and what they don't, and also um, provides them incentives around doing that through an an attention token. You basically earn a token, you earn cryptocurrency in this particular thing, this attention token, um, through what information you're willing to share. And the idea is you opt in once in a controlled way, but can always opt out of any given different data element you want to share the kind of standard but very structured and transparent consumer opt-in to things i think is one of the models you're seeing you see the same with the other search engines like DuckDuckGo has been pioneering this kind of approach for a long time i think you start to see this with folks like facebook and google looking for explicit opt-ins for people to participate in kinds of research as well and everyone is taking a, a measured approach towards how do you make sure you give people explicit informed consent. But then once you have that, you can then proceed to go ahead and start to connect things in, in relevant ways. And I think that giving people informed consent, being transparent about it, helps us all take action so that we can have the kind of experience we want, but also have more control over our data, and how it's being used.
0: Yeah, I think that point too, having consumers or allowing to allowing them to earn cryptocurrency, that is really interesting because to me it feels like it's uh, flipping it a little bit where there are currently a lot of companies that sell user data, but now it's the user who's selling their own data and they can earn from it. So that is really, really interesting.
1: I think it's a super interesting area. It's clear no one has yet cracked the code on how to make this model really work, but I think this is where um, the power of 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 entrepreneurship, of um of the engine of of trial and error, of rapid, um rapid prototyping and that in this area really help um help succeed. Um I mean, really that it's really the arena of creative destruction as such. And that process as we go through here, I think will yield some result because I think ultimately What is more equitable if there is a fair exchange of value and not just trading our time as we do on uh, sort of the current internet model for uh, value, but being able to trade it much more in a much more structured and tangible way will only help everyone.
0: Looking at it from the business perspective what are the different implications based on if you are currently working for a publisher versus a retail brand versus an agency, et cetera?
1: Yeah. I think the, the, the most important thing is, um, if you're not already experimenting with the cookie list future now, you should be. So this cuts across the board and I believe in, you know, many businesses have already started to take steps towards this. Um, but that, I think, for everyone is the number one thing. How do you make sure that you are already exploring and testing different ways and how your business is going to adapt to this to this future? Um, if you're an agency, certainly this means um, how do you start to build very different kinds of models to help drive um, the marketing solutions you're providing to your clients? And we're seeing this now. People are building their own first-party data lakes or second-party data they have permission data from their client partners and they're connecting their data to it. But all of this done again, in a transparent, controlled way with explicit opt-ins is really the building blocks of this um, where they can then take that first-party data and start to look at how to analyze patterns across it using the kinds of machine learning tools we've, we've been talking about. Similarly, for, for the publishers, um, in one hand, I think this the implications are do they actually go back more towards a model that may be closer to the start of the web rather than where things are now. In, interesting in some experiments that I've been reading about where people have taken more control and have been cutting out um, third-party targeted advertising is the publishers are actually finding they're making more money because they are taking out middlemen um, in their advertising sales. And so it's more profitable and and consumer experience can be better um, through some, some research that I've been looking at. So there's... Um, there's a possibility of sort of restructuring of the ad ecosystem here. And we think about the, the targeted retail experience in that. I think here's where, again, that if you give people explicit permission, if you give the structures for people to give a very clear um, path to sharing their data in a way which they understand and could use. It only gives more power ultimately for the retailers to provide a more tailored experience when consumers understand, and a more uh, they can help deepen the relationship. And we've been seeing some interesting experience in this in the luxury space where um, some luxury retailers are giving a lot of control over what data can be shared, but consumers are sharing a lot, and a lot of power goes back both uh, both ways. But with that, consumers get access to new and innovative products ahead of time, etc. So there's a there's a clear value for for both sides in doing that.
0: How will the loss of cookies affect? the ability to measure marketing performance
1: yeah this really is the one of the biggest biggest impacts um you've been able until now to put cookies on ads and then track you know where you go well what it means ultimately is you have to take a different perspective and again this really is going to rely on 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 platforms let's say for like facebook to really work on getting explicit consumer opt-in for helping understand what impacts their advertising has have, And I think, again, this is very healthy. If you've got someone like Facebook, um, obviously enormous scale, but um, they, if they can take the time to make sure that if they want to run a study for a client to understand the impact of advertising on Facebook platform vis-a-vis TV, for example, by asking a select group of consumers for their informed consent to allow Um, a match between say a survey, um, some survey data and their ad exposure data, you're really helping consumers have control of how their information is shared. And with that though, Facebook can then undertake very specific research to make sure that, you know, how did advertising on Facebook impact those very specific people, their behaviors and attitudes, and what kind of outcomes does that achieve? You don't need to measure everyone on Facebook to get that data. We know through the power of doing good statistical data-driven analysis, you can actually figure that out. And so in a way, the power of doing really good research becomes even more important because um, you can't rely just on blanket cookies, pouring back the data, but you can undertake research, well-structured research now and, um, and to get the data that you need. So it's still possible to do that kind of work. You just have to go back and do it in a way which I think is more transparent and ultimately more ethical and more protective of consumers.
0: There are going to be a lot of new cookie list solutions emerging, many that are already here, as you've already mentioned. How do you choose just one solution or multiple solutions successfully for your business?
1: At this point in time, it is a time where there's a divergence happening. There are Mm. lots of different approaches to solving these challenges in this cookie cookie list future. Um, and so I think experimentation and trying out different solutions is, is imperative. I don't think there is any one solution at this point in time. Um, and everyone who's been playing in the ad tech space is realizing that. And so I think this is a great, a great opportunity for as it if I'm an advertiser, if I'm a marketer, if I'm in a media owner, here's a chance to actually help reshape the, um, the ecosystem to potentially to your advantage. Um, because the pieces are moving around now, so I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting time, um, and from a consumer perspective, I think it's also going to be a very interesting time because, again, when you have different models, like going back to the example of Brave Browser, as a model, very different approach, right? If we can rethink, how we, what's the value exchange between us sharing data and us getting services back in in exchange for that? What is the right way to calibrate that, and. How do other players, for again, um, take newspaper publishers, platforms like Google and the consumer? There's been a recalibration before around how the value that's generated in a paper shared through Google and delivered to the consumer. How does that work? I think this is going to have a chance for people to revisit how that the the revenue flows there and what's equitable. So, I think it'll be a very interesting time to see how things shake out.
0: Well, this has been a really, really fun, interesting conversation. I have one last question to ask you, Rolf. As an expert in insight solutions, what is your best advice to someone who is currently working to leverage data without cookies to better their business?
1: <laughs> yes. So I think here, first and foremost, the number one thing I think every business needs to make sure is that they actually have their handle around their own data, their own data assets. Um, I'm always surprised to find still in this in our data centric world, um, how many companies are sitting on really important, valuable data that they are not fully exploiting. And I think with this cookie-less world coming and with the power of AI, it is incredibly important to really make sure you've got your hands around your own data, that you get it clean and usable because to have your data as the, is, is clearly the backbone of your business. To make sure you understand it and how you can clean it so that you can connect it with other data sets to really extract the full value is going to be critical. You can't just, uh, you won't be able to rely on other people filling the gaps for you uh, anywhere so easily. Yeah, but if you can get your hands around your data and really transform it into a way that's easy to connect it, that it's, you have clear consumer consent so that you can use it and manage it so that you're doing so in an ethical and legal way, um, then you've got the power to build your business on. And so I just think above all, that really is the most important thing for business snap now is make sure you've got your data clean and compliant and therefore usable for you to be able to fully leverage the really incredible tools and technologies that are being developed now to help businesses better understand who their consumers are, how they behave and how to, how to attract them to your to your business
0: mm Yeah, well, I'm sure that myself and many people listening right now have a lot of research to do on all of these solutions that you've mentioned uh, to start seeing what might work for them. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me in this virtual recording room today. Uh, If you are listening and you're interested in learning a little bit more about today's episode or about Rolf, I will leave all of the relevant links into the show notes. And Rolf, maybe we need to have you back next year when, in fact, the cookies are completely gone to see how everything really played out.
1: It'll be interesting. It Certainly, uh, we'll get our crystal balls out again and see where the next step will be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. And please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you
1: can keep thinking ahead.